So we saw last week how the US is seeing higher prices. Now more people are quitting their jobs and less optimism from households. Apart from that, you know, things are doing going well. Uh, we'll look at the reaction to a very low consumer sentiment read in the US on Friday. And over the weekend, new lockdowns in Europe. Could this be a winter with more of that going on despite the jabs? And how is China doing? We've got activity readings today. They're going to be keenly watched. It's Monday, the 15th of November, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, equities finished the week strongly. We had a 1% rise in the NASDAQ, 0.7% for the S&P 500. The ASX 200 was up over 0.8% uh, on Friday. But uh, that was all very different early in the week. Even with those rises on Friday, the NASDAQ was still down 0.7% over the week. The ASX 200 lost 0.2%. 10-year Treasury yields were up 11 basis points across the week, 7 for 10-year gilts and 2 for buns. But on Friday, uh, German buns, gilts, Aussie 10-year futures, all down. So it's a very different day at the end of the week on currencies. The Aussie had a strong day that day, uh, up more than half a percent. The pound up 0.3 percent. The euro lost a little. But over the week, almost everyone lost uh, except for the 0.9 rise, uh, rise in the DXY index. So the US dollar was up. The euro lost more than 1 percent. The Aussie lost 0.9 percent. The Canadian dollar lost three quarters of 1 percent. The, the pound was down 0.6 percent. And for commodities, well, we had a big fall in iron ore, down 4.4 percent at the end of the week, 3.4% across the week, so 4.4% on Friday. Oil is weakening too, WTI uh, down almost 1% on Friday. So a bit of movement. Ray Attrell is with us from NAB in Sydney. So uh, look, hot on the heels of that surprising increase in inflation earlier in the week, uh, an unexpected fall in consumer sentiment. We had the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index down to an 11-year low. But of course, it goes hand in hand, doesn't it? If uh, if inflation's rising, people get worried. Good morning, Phil. Yes, it was um, certainly yeah, uh, an interesting report on Friday, to say the least, because uh, as you say, that uh, that fall from what seventy one point seven to sixty six point eight, you know, was the lowest level we've seen since what November two thousand and eleven, on my reckoning, and, uh, mm. and it was actually expected to be up slightly. And I think the interesting point is if you wind back a couple of months to the North American summer, we had that University of Michigan and also the conference board's consumer confidence readings both falling quite sharply. Um, And the blame for that was laid fairly squarely at um, sharply rising um, COVID infection rates and hospitalizations in the US. The contrast now is that we've seen quite significant falls in um, on all of those metrics, whether it's infections, whether it's hospitalizations or deaths, which you know you would therefore have expected to be associated with strengthening consumer confidence. And, and far from it, we've got a really sharp fall. And that, uh, to my mind, at least lays the blame for the fall squarely at the door of this uh, 6% plus consumer price inflation um, reading that we had uh, reported earlier in the week. And the implication being, of course, that, um, you know, wages may be going up somewhat, but they're not going up 6% a year. And therefore, um, households are suffering declines in real incomes. And and that's really what's been reflected, I think, in this fall. And things like gasoline prices, which are obviously very visible um, signs of inflation, um, you know, we're up to a multi-year highs. Uh, this month, and, and I think uh, a big jump in the percentage of survey respondents expecting gas gas prices to rise further over the year. So I think this is really interesting, and you know it becomes you know a political problem if, if consumers are you know, feeling the pinch yeah. from uh, too high inflation. Then you always think about you know, governments just wanting 
you know, central banks to run monetary policy as, as hot as possible. But if uh, if consumers are wilting under the weight of higher inflation, then it becomes not just a headache for the Fed, it's potentially a political problem for, uh, for the White House. Yeah, it is difficult to know who does what, isn't it, over all of this? And, we, and, and oil, you know, as he's saying gas, you know, they're putting gas in your car or putting oil in your car. I mean, WTI uh, is hovering around prices. It's not been since 2014. It was down a bit on Friday, but, you know, it's still way up there. And that's a double whammy, isn't it? Because it pushes up production costs. So everything, you, you know, so adds to inflation. But also, obviously, it uh, it shrinks discretionary income for households as well because, you know, you're paying more to fill up the cars. And there's expectations, you know, it could rise $100 middle of next year. Um, and, you know, if we see flights increasing, then that's obviously going to be, which we are seeing, that's going to be another jolt on it all. That's right. And airline fares have obviously been been pretty volatile, but uh, but a, a, mm. a key, you know, a, a key component of, uh, of the rise in inflation is, you know, as travel's increased and, uh, you know, airlines aren't uh, aren't shy in, in drawing their supply and demand curves and working out that uh, that they can increase prices. So that's going to be interesting. And yes, going back to U.S. gasoline, it was, what, $3.70 U.S. dollars a gallon, an American gallon, mm. that is, which is, what, well over five Australian dollars. And um, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember all the kerfuffle when gasoline prices went above $1 a gallon to the, for the first time. Mm. We're going back a few years, admittedly. So... Um, but clearly something that um, you know that, that does bear close scrutiny. So just on flights very quickly, because I did have a quick look at flight radar for the real-time statistics on uh, where we are this year compared to where we were two years ago. And uh, we're 80, 80% level for the for the last week on, on two years ago. At end of July, we were 75%. So it is get that, that gap is, is certainly narrowing. But this inflation... Uh, is uh, obviously is playing on the bond markets as well. The 10-year break-even inflation rate got up to 2.76% on Friday, which is the highest it's been since 2005. But this inflation number is just going to keep rising, isn't it? Well, certainly the near-term outlook is for uh, is for further gains, and we'll get a good illustration of that, I think, in the UK this week, where um, mm. you know headline CPI is expected to rise from, what, 3.1, I think, to, to 3.9, and Bank of England's been warning of 4%-plus inflation figure, so it wouldn't be terribly surprising to see that as early as this week. So, um, yes, and obviously the Fed's narrative has shifted from, you know, the next couple of months being key, which I think we were hearing from Rich Clarida only a couple of months ago, in terms of the transitory versus not so transitory debate. And Jay Powell in his last press conference talking about Q2, Q3 next year before we might start to see a significant uh, moderation. So, um, yes, it, uh, the, you know, the transitory debate is wearing, uh, is wearing thinner and thinner, isn't it? And, um, mm. So, but, you know, what do they, Neil Kashkari as well, he's been on uh, Sunday on CBS just in the last hour or so saying that, uh, you know, the, the Fed shouldn't overreact to elevated inflation, even if it causes pain for Americans, because it is likely to prove temporary. But, you know, obviously, if they push up interest rates, that's going to make average Americans feel it even more. Well, yes, yes and no, says the two-handed economist, <laughs> because we had John Williams, the New York Fed president, out on Friday, and he made the point that people with fixed incomes, um, you know, mm. read relatively lower-paid workers, uh, or those that don't uh, have incomes other than their, their salary to live on, uh, take a proportionately bigger hit from higher inflation. So, you know, think about that. That's an argument for saying, well, you know, yes, we want to run the economy hot. We want to get maximum employment. But if those that are already in employment are suffering because their real incomes are going backwards, then, um, you know, a Fed, you know, looking for a pretext to lift rates ahead of what it perceives to be maximum employment, um, there's certainly an excuse there to be... Um, 
contemplating, you know, needing to put some markers down in terms of, uh, you know, seriousness in terms of the intent to get inflation expectations and ultimately inflation down. Well, and the other indicator for that, of course, has been this great resignation. So we saw, you know, not a massive, with the jolts numbers, not a massive increase in job openings. Uh, There's 10.4 million jobs if people want them. But uh, we hit an all-time high uh, with the uh, the labour market data for, for quits, the uh, uh, 4.4 million people qu- uh, quit their job, which is an all-time high. That's right, 3%, I think, of the overall working mm. population. So, um, yeah, in one you know, month. And I think the I mean, wages are running at uh, currently at about 4%, which is... Uh, Sounds quite impressive and welcome, but um, in the context of 6% inflation, just reinforces that point that, that real incomes are currently going backwards. Yeah, but you know, maybe people are switching jobs because they think you're going to get a better paid job. Maybe we're going to see more of that as well. So how do you handle that? And, and also, what does it do to consumption as well? Because if people see that prices are rising, do they say, okay, I'm going to bring forward uh, my purchases now before prices do go up? Or do they think they've already gone up? I'm going to wait now and hold off purchases until uh, prices come down again. Well, it's possible. It's possible. But um, yeah, all, all we can do is say, we'll look at the consumer confidence now. Numbers and uh, and saying what well, it's having an impact, which you know, which doesn't mean that people aren't spending. It means that they're getting less for their dollars. So in that respect, I'd, I'd draw close attention to the retail sales numbers that we're going to get from the US yeah. tomorrow night, because. Even going back to that, uh, say that summer period when consumer confidence was falling, it didn't show up in the retail sales numbers. So um, you know the the moral there is, is sort of watch what consumers do rather than what they say. If uh, if actual spending, uh, particularly in real terms, is seen to be holding up, then it, uh, it does suggest that um, this uh, you know this declining confidence isn't having a material impact on spending, and that uh, you know that would tends to mean that these confidence numbers can be uh, not dismissed out of hand, but um, needn't be taking, might not be as troubling as uh, as the headline numbers would suggest. And despite all this uncertainty, uh, equity is still rising on Friday. Well, I mean, again, you, you think about it in terms of, uh, you know, as you said, break-even inflation rates uh, up to the, uh, close to the highest rec- highest levels on record, was it 2.7% something? Mm. The implication of that is that real interest rates are um, have, have gone more negative and think about that from a stock market point of view. So, uh, to some extent, I think the you know the revival that we've seen in, in stocks and particularly things like the Nasdaq, which are, tend to be more interest rate sensitive than other sectors, um, you know, maybe drawing some comfort from the fact that the uh, the real risk free rate, as we would call it, is actually going down rather than mm. up. All right. Well, look, I want to look at what we've got coming up this week because it is a busy week. You mentioned one or two things, but very quickly before we do that, some some news over the weekend was that in Holland the government has reimposed a partial lockdown. For three weeks, uh, restaurants and the like have to close at eight. Uh, you've got to have a vaccination passport now, which they didn't have to have before if you're going to go and eat out. Uh, this is despite, you know, they've, they're quite high on vaccinations. They've got 72% of all the population is vaccinated, which is uh, if based on equivalent measures. Australia's on 70%, the UK's on 68%, the US is on 59%. They're up there at 72%, and they felt the need to impose more lockdowns. So you do wonder, don't you, whether the Northern, Northern Hemisphere is going to have a, a winter of restrictions coming up? No, absolutely. And, and similar restrictions in uh, in Austria as well as Netherlands. And I was looking at the German um, infection rates um, over the weekend. And you'll see that um, you know, the current um, seven-day average is actually higher 
than the peaks that we had late in 2020 and back in uh, March, April this year. So, um, um, you know, not, um, you know, coincidentally, we've got, um, you know, German economy is, uh, you know, is feeling the pinch from that also, you know, potentially from, you know, a weaker export sector, given the, uh, the weakness that we're seeing in China. And I think that does play into the, you know, thinking about the US dollar and the strength that we're seeing, we say, you know, we always say that, you know, the euro is such a big part of the US dollar index. Um, and the euro, you know, broke below 115, quite an important psychological level last week, um, you know, has been languishing there. And that's the reason, one of the reasons that the dollar is strong. So at the moment, the, um, you know, the, the large parts of the eurozone, I think, are heading in the wrong direction. Um, and to date, at least, the U.S. numbers have been generally good and the surveys are still good, notwithstanding that University of Michigan reading. And, you know, in that context, not surprising that the dollar is doing as well as it is. Now, today, uh, China's activity numbers uh, coming out uh, early afternoon, Aussie time. So retail sales, industrial production, fixed asset investment. What's all that going to show? Well, it's expected to all show further signs of weakness. So in year on year terms or year to date, year on year terms, all three of those readings are expected to be down. And uh, it's a long time since we've been used to seeing retail sales and industrial production, you know, with a three in front of it in terms of the percentage changes. So, so keen interest in the, in those numbers, I think. Yeah. And Lucy Ellis, the assistant governor in brackets economics at the RBA, uh, is in front of a parliamentary committee uh, today. Uh, but the boss man, Philip Lowe, talking tomorrow as well. And we've got the wage price index for Australia, which I think you, you might have mentioned. So it's a busy half of the week, isn't it, locally? No, absolutely. So I think low tomorrow will be interesting. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, in this whole debate about whether, you know, Australian inflation is going to follow what's been happening in the rest of the world upwards, um, you know, the view of the RBA is, well, that can only happen on a sustainable basis if wages are going up. So um, very keen scrutiny yeah. on those in the next couple of uh, quarters. Also worth mentioning that uh, we've got this... Uh, Shay um, Biden virtual summit taking place. I'm not sure what time that is. So any sound bites coming out of that, uh, I think we'll also have uh, have some bearing on markets this week. All right. Okay. And you mentioned US retail sales, uh, UK CPI as well uh, this week. So it's a busy week. Look, tomorrow, uh, the we mentioned it last week, the NAB FX hedging survey of the superannuation industry. That's released tomorrow morning. It's a virtual event that NAB is hosting. In fact, you are one of the people hosting there, right? Aren't you? I am indeed. I have the pleasure of presenting. So this is a, a very extensive survey. We've, we've done it every two years for the last twenty years now, and um, you know, and I'm going to be sort of revealing the results of that survey. Uh, probably more interest to the sort of corporate and institutional. Um, customer base. But if you are a NAB client and you haven't yet registered for it, reach out to your local NAB markets contact and uh, still not too late to uh, to come and have a have a sticky beak at that tomorrow morning. Beautifully done. All right. Excellent. And uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Well, thanks, Phil. So a uh, virtual Ray Atrell hosting that event tomorrow. Uh, I will be here again tomorrow as well, virtually. You might wonder actually whether we are real people. Uh, I'll catch you again tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then. <laughs> 